In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. I believe stepdads have an incredible, incredible ministry in front of them, an opportunity in front of them. But you do have to have some wisdom and understand the game and how it's played. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos and I'm here with my brother from another brother. My producer and good friend Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing awesome, Jim. Are you better? A little less stressed out. A little less stressed out than Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little bit Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Monday, Tuesday wasn't bad. Hey, I'm 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 really excited about our guest today. Uh, we've had him on the show uh, before. As you know, I'm the product of a, a divorced family, a blended family, and all that went along with that. So navigating dads and kids through divorce is really close to my heart. This guy is an expert, and uh, I'm excited to get him on. Love love having this guy on the show, really connect with him. And so these guys are going to love this episode about how you can be a smart stepdad. Hey, but before we jump into our interview with Ron, guys, make sure you guys write us a review. Send us a hero story of how God has used this podcast and this ministry to Im- impact your life and help you to become your best version. And we will do a drawing and send you some swag. So make sure you send those in. They're super encouraging. Love to share your stories out there. But I want to bring on our guest today. Oh, Dale, do you have a man word? I forgot about that. My man word. Loyalty. Oh, I interesting. This when, yeah, uh, this, this word was actually in the notes for this podcast. I know, I know the question. A little later. Yes. It's uh, one of three words in this sentence that we're going to talk about. But, uh, you know, when the stuff hits the fan, you do have to have uh, a guy around you that has got your back, is there for you, that guy that's going to call you out. But he's also through the tough times. And it's not necessarily that you screwed up, but there's going to be rough times in life, and you need that guy that's loyal to you. So I think the best way to find that guy is to be that guy. So it's interesting, Dale. It's it's interesting that you say that because I'm going through the pastoral epistles verse by verse, and I'm journaling them. And three days ago was Second Timothy chapter one verse three, where Paul says to Timothy, "I thank God every time I remember you." 
and my entire journal entry was about you oh. and how loyal and faithful you are. And so, um, yeah, uh, maybe someday I'll let you read it, but I'm not oh. right now. So, at the, but, so uh, you are you are uh, a loyal, huh? At the viewing of the body. At the I viewing of the it. body. You are a loyal friend, and uh, I, I really am blessed to have you on my team. So, hey, I want to bring uh, Ron Deal on the show tonight, today. Uh, Ron is 53 years old. He lives in Little Rock, Arkansas. He's married to his beautiful wife of 34 years, Nan. Uh, Ron is one of the most widely read and viewed experts on blended families in the country. He's the founder of Smart Step Families, the director of Family Life Blended, and the author of over a dozen books and video resources on step family living, including The Smart Stepdad, which will be our focus of today's interview. His podcast, Family Life Blended with Ron Deal, and One Minute Radio Feature are heard around the world, and his work has been quoted, referred to by multiple news outlets such as New York Times, Wall Street Journal, CNBC.com, USA Today, and of course, Men in the Arena. <laughs> it's yes. a great privilege to have our new friend on the show, Ron Deal. Ron, it's great to have you back, man. Jim, it is awesome to be back with you. Thank you for having me. And I just got to say, the podcast you did with me for my podcast, Family Life Blended, is amazing and fantastic. And anybody who really wants to know more about Jim Ramos and his story should listen to that podcast. So when is that going live, Ron? You you had told me March. Yeah, it's around uh, right before Father's Day this uh, this coming spring, twenty twenty one. That's awesome. Yeah, send yeah. me a link. I'd love to put that out there. And yeah, I've got a lot of stuff I've worked through and dealt with. And and being of a blended family has definitely been a ride. And uh, my mm -hmm. stepdad actually committed suicide a couple of years ago, and um, mm -hmm. part of that was around my mother's children in his opinion. So it was really interesting, which I didn't go into and I probably won't. But uh, yeah, it's great to have you on the show, man. I, uh, this is a topic that's very, very close to my heart. And Ron, before I, I dive into your book, The Smart Stepdad, which is a great book, by the way, every stepdad should own that book. I'm just saying that right now. I had a guy emailed me the other day from California. He said, Ramos, you need to stop with these podcasts. You're making my library huge. <laughs> I keep spending <laughs> money on all these books. Like, well, I've got great authors on our show. So, hey, Ron, can you tell us your story, uh, your history, uh, just what makes you tick, maybe some hobbies yeah. you enjoy, anything that would bring context to our listeners? Yeah, you know, I've been in marriage and family ministry pretty much my entire life. Um, started off in local church work and did that for over 20 years. I was a youth pastor in the beginning and then moved into marriage and family enrichment and education and doing therapy. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist but always in a church context, trying to help grow families and relationships. And then I started doing step family ministry as a part of that. And lo and behold, it took over my life, which it's become a, a passion and I just absolutely love it. And now so close to 30 years now, I've, I've really been working with blended families in therapeutic settings, in marriage and family enrichment settings, doing conferences, local churches, and now lead um, a large ministry, Family Life, uh, you know, international ministry. We have a division called Family Life Blended, and uh, we're the largest equipping ministry in the world in terms of resources for couples and in terms of uh, resources for churches who are trying to minister to couples in their church and community. And if you still are among those people who think that blended families are a small percentage 
in the world. You just haven't read the stats lately. Non-traditional families are the new traditional family. I, I could lay tons of stats on our listeners, but just a couple to make the point. Right now, a third of every man, woman, and child in the United States, one third has a step relationship of some kind. Step parents, step siblings, step child, step uncle. Uh, that doesn't count the step grandparents. That does not count those people. So 113 million plus can reach out and touch it. Uh, the second stat I will throw at you is a brand new one that surprises a lot of people. And that is this. While 40% of families raising children are blended families, 15% of all new first marriages form blended families. Let me say that again. 15% of first marriages form blended families. It's not always a story of the death of a parent and then a remarriage or a divorce and then another marriage. It is often a first marriage. And there's a child that's already in the picture. Somehow, somewhere, one of the adults brings a child. So people who think, you know, this is a small sliver, this, it is not. It is a huge population of people. And our estimate is that less than one half of 1% of churches in the U.S. do anything to minister to this people group. It's a huge population. The, church, the fields are white with harvests, man. And so we are just trying to lead that charge and equip families and equip leaders to minister to others. Ron, you know, it's interesting. So in my personal family, I have a granddaughter coming over today mm. who lives with her mother, who my son is not married to and never has been. My son has a very, very serious relationship with a woman he's probably going to marry and that he is going to instantly have a stepdaughter scenario. So I relate to that to the nth degree. And, I, you know, it's it's a little troubling in churches to me. I don't know what you think about this. It seems like divorce has become such a common theme in our culture that we just accept it as normal. And there doesn't seem to be a fight to prevent it or to work through it. I, I don't know, man. What, what are your thoughts on that? Are you seeing some of the same stuff? Yes, um, and I do understand what you're saying there. I, I do think there's another side to it. I think um, there are a lot of churches that are very proactive to try to pour into couples. Yes. Um, by the way, I think there was some research done a few years ago that with Lifeway and Focus on the Family found that only half of churches in the U.S. have any sort of marriage ministry, premarital education, anything. And, and by the way, the percentage of people in those churches, you know, it's only like a third of them actually knew their church had a marriage ministry, which I find fascinating. Like, so yeah. we think we do marriage ministry, but people don't really even know that they have it accessible to them. So, you know, but there are definitely some proactive organizations, nonprofits, uh, you know, parachurch organizations, as well as local churches that are doing marriage ministry. Um what I, I I don't think they're accepting necessarily of just, hey, do whatever you want to do in choices in life. And I just think divorce is happening. It's a it's a yeah. natural course of some people's existence in this world. Life is challenging and difficult. And so, yeah, uh, you know, it's going to create scenarios where somebody goes on and gets married again. And that is just increasingly common in our culture which means there's opportunities for the church to be relevant, to be helpful, to minister mm -hmm. to people where they find themselves, to go and sit by the wells in which people exist, like Jesus did in John 4 with the woman at the well. Like we need to go sit at those wells and meet folks and say, hey, the gospel has something for you. You know, there's living water and, yeah. uh, and we share that and there's hope. 
in that. And I think that's part of what our mission ought to be. So let me just be very clear. Blended family ministry is not based on the assumption that divorce is okay. We're we're not making that statement at all. If anything, I'd love for people to stay in first marriages, healthy, established, strong first marriages. But when life finds you in this situation, the church is still relevant. The gospel still has something to say, can still bring redemption into your life and your children's lives and the next generation, meaning when kids grow up in a healthy step family, they have a better shot. We know this from research. They have a better chance at having a first marriage that lasts forever because they grew up in a healthy, stable family. So we want to be that redemptive intervention in people's lives. Well, and you said in your book, you said uh, in the United States, 50% of children will have a step parent at some point in their lifetime. But then you continued 90% of children in step families live with their mom and stepdad and stepchildren who have good relationships with both stepfather and the non-resident biological father have better outcomes than children who have good relationships with just their father. And so when you read your book, it is clear as day that you are pro-marriage, stay married, don't get divorced, but that you're also saying, hey, there are people who are going to pick up this book or who are going to come to you who are, are divorced and remarried, and you're passionate that I believe that you are passionate about keeping those second marriages together forever and creating a family with that step parent step child relationship that is healthy and strong. And so I appreciate your work. Uh, You're really the only guy out there. I know who's really doing this on a powerful, powerful level. And so, man, uh, I really appreciate you and what you're doing. And so Thank you for coming on the show again. I want to I want to throw you into something that we call our rapid fire round. Okay. Now I I know you're ready for this because I've had you on the I'm show before. For impact. Oh yeah, baby, it's coming, <laughs> it's coming. So I'm gonna I've pulled five phrases out of your book that I thought were powerful and actually mm. had never heard of them before. And so I want you to explain the context and why they're so powerful for the smart stepdad. So here here we go. Phrase one. It was, I found it on page 75 in your book, parentified okay. children, parentified children. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, a parentified child is a child that is having to care for their parents emotionally, or sometimes even, you know, physically, logistically in terms of uh, managing other younger siblings in the home, or sometimes um, a biological parent is just depressed and not functioning well. And so this child kind of has to parent the parent. And so that's a phrase that really means the child's having to, if I could say it this way, um, take on responsibilities that a child shouldn't have to take on. It's taking them out of their childhood, if you will, and throwing them into adulthood. And let me tell you, kids will do it and they will do it well. They will sacrifice themselves on every level. They will do what needs to be done to care for younger siblings or take care of a parent who's, who's low functioning. And, and, and they will lose their childhood. And it, it's just a shame when that happens. And, and, and really, you know, the, the recourse is, okay, what's the solution to that? Well, a high functioning or at least a moderately functioning adult in their life. The parents become parents again. And so, I mean, there's good reasons why, when I say good reasons, I mean, there's legitimate reasons why a a parent gets depressed and has a season of life where they are not functioning well. And so it's understandable, but boy, if we can 
like as a church or his friends or extended family come alongside and help fill those gaps, then we relieve the child of having to be that parentified child. Yeah, I see this a lot with kids. Yeah, you know, this is this yeah. is tough. So on page 77 of your book, you said something and I thought it was very powerful. And I think the smart stepdad needs if you're listening right now and you want to be a smart stepdad, listen to this. Let the bullet bounce. Hmm. Don't take it personal. You know, when a kid says, you are not my dad, I don't have to do what you say. You know, my dad said that you're nothing to me. And I, well, that's a bullet. And uh, here's where the thick skin needs to be put on and you let the bullet bounce. Now, is that a choice? Like, do we really have a choice to let that bullet penetrate or bounce off? Well, on some level, I think we do. You know, we toughen up in the sense of God, you know, this rejection I'm feeling, this, this, Whatever this child is throwing at me right now, I got to have my, you're my source, Lord. You know, I, who I am, my identity comes from you, not in this child receiving me as somebody important in their world. So give me the thick skin to go, I get it. I'm sorry that you feel that way, but you still got to clean your bed or <laughs> clean your room. Yeah, that's really powerful. I just uh, go back to my childhood and I just remember uh, some pretty nasty things being said mm -hmm. to my stepfather, not by me, by another one of my siblings, but, uh, you know, it, it, it can be pretty harsh. And so we're going to yeah. talk about how a smart stepdad can, um, avoid, I guess, some of those bullets. There are some things a guy can do to be smart and intelligent. So, but on page 30, you offer some strategies and I want you to explain this. You call these power strategies. What do you mean by a power strategy? Well, I think sometimes step parents and stepdads in particular feel powerless. That's one of the yeah. biggest complaints people have. Boy, you know, I don't know my place in this home. Nobody seems to want my opinion <laughs> or they do, but then they discount it. And so the power strategy is knowing where your power is, knowing where your influence comes. And just one quick example of that is for a stepdad who's relatively new on the scene. And, I, and I'm just going to say, you're in what we call the integration years, the integration of your family. And that's the first five to seven years. Um, your power directly is through your wife. Like in the beginning, that is absolutely the case. Your relationship with your wife, who is the mother of the children, is, is where your strength comes. When a stepdad starts functioning independently of his relationship with his wife, it's sort of the, I'm the new man on the scene story, and you're going to listen to me whether you want to or not. That sabotages everything, not just your relationship with your kids, but eventually your relationship with your wife. So work with your wife, partner with her, work through her, dialogue and discuss with her. Hey, I think there's some rule changes I'd like for us to figure out. If you and I come to agreement, then we can get it done. But if you go off you know, half-cocked on your own, that's suicide. Don't do that. So your power comes through that relationship. Well, in the book, you spoke about a, I think it was a Marine stepfather yes. who decided to go in and and uh you know conquer and he ran into a little bit of backlash which which yep. reminds me of the next uh rapid fire phrase on page 195 uh, you talk about cooking the step family what does yeah. that mean yeah it's really a metaphor to help people think about how their family comes together this integration process i was talking about is really if we could think of it as walking into the kitchen 
and we're going to try to bring the ingredients of your of your blended family together. Well, there's mom, there's children, stepchildren, biological children. Some stepdads have their own biological children. Your former spouses who are still involved in parenting the children, they're still a part. Your former mother-in-law who's still a grandmother to your kid. Like there's a lot of people who are ingredients in this uh, this thing we're trying to cook. How do you cook it? Well, if your strategy is, and most people's strategy is, a blender. And that's where you throw everything in and you turn it on. And with a whole lot of friction and a whole lot of rapid fire uh, heat, essentially, you're taking all these ingredients and slamming them into one fluid mixture. Now, that's great if you're making a smoothie. It's not great if you're actually trying to put people together and make them <laughs> feel like family. Because yeah. people get mad when you slam them into other people, when you demand that they love and appreciate and at levels that you want them to experience. Like that's you working on them and it tends to backfire. The better approach that I teach in all of my resources is what we call a crockpot approach. And everybody goes, oh yeah, I got it. You know, you throw everything in the crockpot and eight hours later you come back and there's something good to eat, right? Well, what's happened in that eight hours? Well, ingredients have started very slowly warming up. The crockpots work on low heat, not the high heat of a blender. Low heat. Ingredients warm up. They soften their outer shell, and then they start sharing of themselves. And there's your metaphor. What you do as a stepdad to help ingredients warm up to you at a pace that that ingredient can endure slowly, then they will soften and begin to share of themselves and your relationship will deepen over time. But if you go for instant fluidity, instant merger, it tends to slow things down rather than actually speeding them up. So the wisdom of accepting that each ingredient has its own timing, that we got to go about this slowly, that this is going to take five to seven years or five to, you know, like crockpot five to seven hours, it's not going to happen fast that I work with the, the end game in mind and I don't give up, that helps blended families step into a pace that adults and children can, uh, can accept and, and give themselves to, and they have far more success that way. Okay, <clears throat> so I'm the kind of guy who, like our, many of our listeners, they're driving to work, they're listening to what you said just now, and they're going, okay, I don't wanna be a blender, I know that's wrong, but I know I'm better in a crock pot, so I'm just going to be an Instapot. I'm yeah. going to throw them in like a crock pot. I'm just going to cook them a little bit faster. What would you say to yeah. that guy who wants to put a little bit more pressure on? Hey, I did a seminar one time, and a lady came up to me at the break. She says, my husband and I were talking about that crock pot metaphor you were, you were telling us about. She said, my husband's a chef. Get this, Jim. It's awesome. She <laughs> says, my husband's a chef, and he says, you're right about that. You can't fool food. And I say, I don't understand a word you're saying to me. What does he mean you can't fool food? And she says, he's a chef. He knows every ingredient cooks at its own pace. Oh. You can't make something cook faster than it will cook. You can yell at green beans. You can yell at a potato. You can yell at the carrots you've put into the stew. You can yell at the beef and it won't cook any faster then it will really cook on its own. The wisdom here is the more you try to push something to cook, then the more it sees you as a threat. 
And now you, stepdad, we're talking about here, now you're a threat. You're unsafe. This kid is not viewing you as something it can warm up to and trust because you seem to be pushing an agenda. Instead of respecting that ingredient and that ingredient's timing, you're trying to force it into something it's not ready for. You can't fool food. Man, that's so powerful, Ron. Guys, listen to what he just said. You can't force something into something it's not ready for. You can't force it. So you you hard-charging, A-personality kind of guys, you need to listen to me right now because if you don't do this, crank down the heat, boys. Listen, you southern boys, you're smoking this thing. This is a brisket, (laughs) baby. Come on now. Come on now. Anyway, hey, you know, you said something, Ron. You said every ingredient cooks at its own pace. Uh, And then you also said... That there are many ingredients in this blended family, but but you forgot one, and you but but you talked about it in the book, and this is a, an ingredient. When I read it, Ron, I I literally laughed out loud. I'd never thought of this ingredient. How does the smart stepdad deal with the ex-husband-in-law? <laughs> yes, I like to call him the ex-husband-in-law. By the way, a lot of people kind of you know they kind of bow their back a little bit and they go. Oh, dude, that guy is not a part of my family. And I say, oh, yes, he is. Oh, yeah, he now, is. You may, not, you may not claim him, but that man makes a phone call and changes your finances. That man makes a phone call and puts your wife in a bad mood, and now she's griping at you. That man makes a phone call, and you have to go leave work and go pick up his kids because he is unwilling, unable, for whatever reason, and you have to change your schedule. That guy's a part of your family. Oh, I left off the biggest one. That guy makes a phone call to his children and says, that stepdad of yours, he's nothing. And I don't ever want to hear you say a kind word about him. And now your stepchildren have to kind of prove to dad because of loyalty, what Dale brought up at the beginning of the show. Because of their loyalty to their dad, they have to prove to him that you are nothing to them, which means they're mean to you, they're disrespectful to you, and they're disobedient to you because that somehow would make it okay that you're in their life. And they can't afford to have their dad thinking that that's okay. Do you see how convoluted this is? That guy's a part of your family. And so you better try to have to be a, a good ambassador, I'll put it that way, between his country and world and your country and world and strengthen the ties between the two because if he then becomes a little bit of a fan of yours, like at least he respects you, then all of a sudden all that hostility and all that negativity he could throw on the kids is not there, which frees them up to cook a little faster in their relationship with you. Like it's all related. Well, that's interesting. In one phone call, the bullets start flying. And I would say, Ron, I would say this also that uh, this will probably motivate some of our guys in one phone call. She may be out of the mood to make love to you, bro, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because she's so angry at him. So, so uh, be a smart stepdad. So let's talk about your book. What prompted you to write the book? You personally, what was it about that book? You thought I need to write a book for the smart stepdad. Well, from a high level, um, we now have a whole series of books. And um, in fact, book number nine for engaged couples will come out later this year. 
And so I've been writing about the big picture and about the individual roles within the family, about the marriage, about uh, smart stepmom, smart stepdad, you know, a devotional guide for couples to nurture and strengthen their relationship. But specifically, the reason I wanted to write about this is because so many men, well-intended, big-hearted, great Christian men, find themselves... I, I should also add high functioning men in their workplace, yeah. in their you know job as biological parents themselves are doing a great job with their kids. And then all of a sudden they're thrown into this arena where nobody has given them any guidance or tools. And they assume that all the tools that they use outside that arena in the workplace with their own children, et cetera, will transfer in. And what they discover is that a lot of that same stuff ends up backfiring on them. And so they just go, what do I do? And, you, you know, as men, I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast, we have this tendency when we're facing uh, mountains we don't know how to climb to just stop climbing. We kind of go passive. We withdraw. We just hang back. We, we, we stop using our influence or even trying. And I believe stepdads have an incredible, incredible ministry in front of them, an opportunity in front of them. But you do have to have some wisdom and understand the game and how it's played in order for you to find your place and then to, to minister well to your wife and to those kids. That's why I you wrote that, that book. Well, you talked about in the mountains, sometimes you have to stop. I, I've been in a situation before I got lost in the hills, mm. and I literally use the stop acrostic. And I think this plays into the smart stepdad. I hmm. stopped doing what I was doing, S. I thought about my current situation, T. I observed everything around me and took in all the information I had at my disposal, O. Hmm. And I built a plan, P. Dude, I think, that'll I preach. Think that's, oh, I mean, I think it is, man. I think that's important for the smart stepdad. You know, you're, you said something that really was powerful, and I want our guys to hear it. A lot of these men that are clueless <laughs> are high-flying, educated, well-intentioned, uh, very successful, successful at their job men who are trying to apply mm -hmm. those principles to a stepchild, and they may or they may not work. And so whenever somebody writes a book with such a powerful title as yours – I always think, okay, what's what's the antithesis of this book? So mm. if you were to write a book called The Stupid Stepdad, who would that be about? <laughs> it would be about that Marine man that you referenced earlier. The story I tell in the book. You know, and, and just real quickly, let me tell a little bit of the story. So this guy was engaged to a woman with three teenage kids. He didn't have any children of his own. He'd never been married before. He's a former Marine. And anybody right here who's listening knows there's no such thing no. as a former Marine. Like no once a Marine, thing. always a Marine. So he yeah. says to his fiance a month before they're about to get married, just in a conversation that they were talking about parenting. And he makes this offhanded remark that completely, you know, threatens or scares his, his fiance. He says, listen, I just want you to tell your kids that when we get married next month, they need to know the Marines have landed. <laughs> now, now here's a guy. I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know this guy, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, he has goodwill towards those stepchildren. He wants good things for them. He wants to come in and be a leader that blesses their life. I'm going to give him that. 
but he's going about it all the wrong way. Now his wife, she hasn't even told the kids. She's already going, oh my gosh, what have I done? Right? And she retreats back and she goes and talks to her marriage mentor, the couple that's mentoring them, and they call me. That's how I got in on this whole deal. And they asked me, what do we do? And so I end up trying to, you know, deliver some good information from a distance through the mentor couple. Long story short, he didn't listen. I find out years later the backstory. He didn't listen. He comes in like a Marine. He's barking orders and expecting people to jump when he says, and it unravels the home. Kids growing, mom, gosh, what's up? He, you know, he doesn't like us. Why is he always trying? And she's like, yeah, I know. He, I'm, and she's trying to play middleman, which is an impossible situation. And she's trying to talk to him about what the kids really need. And then he says, you're taking their side. And you can see how the marriage suffers, the parenting suffers, and eventually the family unravels. You can have the best of intentions, but if you go about it in the wrong way, if you don't apply wisdom, it's not going to work. Well, it's interesting. You you allude to that on page 15. You say this, your stepchildren may think you're either the best thing since sliced bread or an invader <laughs> and everything in between. And your wife who hired you, <laughs> love that, <laughs> who hired you obviously wants you, but there are, there may not always, hold on. She obviously wants you there but may not always know to work with you or want to work with you. Mm. It can be confusing. And I love this phrase and I wish our Marine friend could have heard this from you. And I want you to explain it. That's why you must choose to be the hero. What does Mm. that mean? Well, I think being a hero, for example, means you, for example, don't have to command a place in the home. I, you know, how is Jesus a hero? Let's just go there. Humility, taking the lowly place, being a servant, came to serve, not to be served. Like you may have to take some, what feels like a lowly place sometimes in your family where you don't feel like you you quite have the, the authority you would like to have or the influence you would like to have. Like this working through your wife to make changes in the home, that's not direct enough for some guys. And it just feels like, well, you're asking me to take a, a, take a step down in where I should be. No, I'm asking you to be wise with the influence you've been given and not assert authority you don't yet have. That's what I'm asking you to do. But to you, it feels like taking a a back seat. It's really not. It's just wisdom applied in this situation. You're going to have to get over your ego. That's what that means. And uh, and that's what I mean by choosing to be the hero, you know, and dealing with your ego there and deciding you can do this. And just remember, this is a pathway to something greater. When you choose this pathway, it's allowing the ingredients time to warm up, to soften their outer exterior shell and to begin to share of themselves over time. You don't stay here forever. You just choose that as a stepping stone through the cooking process to where the ingredients merge. And that's where you really have deep relationship and authority and influence. That's so powerful, Ron. I love how you tell men, get over your ego. You said something uh, in this discourse, you said, You don't have to command a place in the home, which fits really well with page 14 in your book where you said, being a successful, being successful as the new stepdad depends heavily on finding your fit. 
Yeah. Identifying your responsibilities and objectives and buddying up with your allies. Can you explain how fit uh, integrates with this crockpot mentality and this hero mentality? If you come in with an expectation that says um, everybody's going to be thrilled I'm here, uh, everybody's going to receive everything I have to say, uh, then you're really surprised when not everybody does. Nine out of ten do, but but that one child doesn't, or you know whatever the case may be. There's moments where your wife kind of looks at you like, "What are you doing?" and and you feel like disrespect. Like it, it, th- th- when that expectation is really super high, you set yourself up for some disappointment there. Okay, adjust your expectations. Not give up. Not stop. Not just adjust to what is and find where you can fit in. Here's another quick illustration. Um, We've talked uh, in an earlier podcast you and I did, I'll refer your listeners to, I think it was just great, some of the questions that you asked. We were talking about another book I wrote with Gary Chapman, Building Love Together in Blended Families. And one of the applications there that I would apply here for stepdads is recognize how motivated each child in your home is toward getting to know you. Um, some stepchildren on day one are wide open for you. They have warmed up and softened and they are ready for you to be a presence in their life. There's often a backstory for that child. Maybe their biological dad is just out of the picture, whatever. And that kid is just primed and ready for you to be in their world. That's an easy relationship to merge, right? But other children, maybe in the same sibling group, you got two that are really warmed up to you fast and another one who's like, I don't know who you are and I don't know why you're here and I don't really need you. It's not that they don't like you, something about you personally. It's more, I just don't need you. I got a dad, I got a mom, I got life. I'm I'm a teenager or I'm, I'm 25 years old or I'm 30 years old. I got a life and career and kids of my own. They just don't need much from you. When you adjust your expectations in that relationship and say, you know what, who can I be to this person, this child? I could be a friend. And that's all I'm probably going to be for the foreseeable future. And you adjust into that. Okay, now you got a chance to be friends, to be friendly, and that's a start. That's not the end necessarily, but that's where you got to start. So uh, let me just acknowledge here something I just said. If you if you if you're getting the picture, step parents know it's really confusing because. Again, one child, you got to be this person. Another child, you're going to be this person. If you have your own biological children, you're dad. And that's a clear role. And you have a lot of authority and influence. And you can be decisive. And it all works. But you just can't be exactly that person on day one with your stepchildren. It's confusing. You do the best you can. Keep talking to your wife. How do you think? Do you think I could adjust something here with this kid or this kid? And you... That's the crockpot experience where over time you eventually warm up with at different ingredients at a different pace. You know, it's really interesting, Ron, <clears throat> being from a divorced family myself, uh, I go back to 13 to 15 when my parents were divorced and dating and getting mm-hmm. me re- remarried. And I, I think about that same scenario, and it took me much longer to warm up to my stepmother, although she's wonderful, uh, than my stepfather for other reasons I'm not going to go into. But one of the main reasons is that these these children have experienced a death and that death mm-hmm. is called divorce and that death is a loss mm-hmm. and Ron I know you've never been divorced but you've you, you've experienced the death of a son which is yeah uh, uh, horrible and horrifying and so I know that like nobody else you understand loss 
So when I ask you this quote, I want you to explain it in the context of your life and in the context of what you see in divorced families. And very sorry to uh, hear about that loss in your book. That was uh, I, it stopped me, and I prayed for you. And that when I read that, it was uh, I know that's mm -hmm. hard. You wrote, "If you are going to understand step stepchildren, whether still living at home or adults on their own, I thought that was interesting. You have to understand the impact of loss, yeah. loyalty." and emotional attachment on their lives. Can you elaborate what you mean by the impact of loss? I think all of us intuitively know that when you go through a significant loss in your life of a, of a family or a love relationship that's very meaningful to you, that it leaves a residue on your heart. It, it could mm. be you know hurt, it could be resentment, it could be just pain. Uh, it could be, um, well, along with that residue is, boy, if I step into another relationship similar, will that one last? You know, there's this doubt that's cast over future relationships. And that, that that's true of children. It's true of adults. So if you went through a really difficult divorce, and I kind of think they're all difficult, even as I say that, um, if you go through a divorce, you know, you think twice about falling in love again, or maybe you're eager, but then when it begins to develop, you're like, oh man, this is good. But what if I thought the last one was going to last forever? And how do I know this one's going to last? Like that, those seeds of doubt are there. For children, it's, um, I've gone through the loss of my family as I know it. What I really want is mom and dad back together again. Or if dad has died, what I really want is dad alive and well. Mm. And so somehow receiving, accepting you, sort of says it's okay that my dad died. Like, I, I can't feel good about that. So it creates this difficulty in attaching to new relationships. Um, you know, to understand that as a, as a step parent is so critical. Cause again, that helps you pace with that child. You will feel their warmth one day and their coldness the next day. And that's where you will experience what really is about loss. Uh, Jim, I just got to say, my son was 12 when he died. I am, as we record this right now, in the middle of the 10-day window of reliving that experience. Oh. Next week is, is the anniversary of his death. Oh. And we're facing, this will be year 12. So very soon, it will be more time without him than we had with him. I, I have to tell you, grief doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It's not like we turn a corner and we never remember, or we never get sad again, or we ne that is not true. Um, my wife and I have a ritual every year we do on the day he died. We are preparing ourselves for that even now. Uh, we're beginning to, you know, even get teary-eyed just day in and day out thinking about that day, looking at pictures. It doesn't stop. Does that mean I don't love my other two boys? No. Does that mean? we don't have good memories and fond memories we reflect. No, it doesn't mean any of that. It just means there's a sadness attached to that story. Children, death, divorce, whatever the backstory is, there's sadness attached to their life forever. They could still find joy and happiness in new relationships and in your blended family, but you cannot minimize the fact that there has been a significant loss in their life. And if you do minimize it, then you step on their hurt. So for example, your stepdad, Father's Day rolls around. You'd love to be received and respected and you know appreciated as father on Father's Day. Of course you would. 
And I hope you get something. But you might not. Because what they really want is dad. You just have to accept that's true. And then you're not fighting it. I mean, think about that. If you're fighting that notion, then you're really competing against their relationship with their biological father. And let me tell you, if you compete against that, you will lose more often than not. Maybe two out of a hundred kids will actually, the stepdad wins. And there's a backstory reason for that. But typically you need to assume their loyalty to their bio dad, living or deceased, is greater to, to that person than they are to you. And you just have to work with that awareness. That's so powerful. It's really interesting talking to you because I go back into my life and go, well, how did I do that? And, you know, I yeah, was I'm wondering how you would process. Oh, well, yeah. So I was I was very close to my stepdad. I am very close to my stepmother, but I have very engaged parents, very, very much engaged uh -huh. parents. My parents have always been engaged mm. and I never sent a Father's Day or Mother's Day card to either of my step parents because of my loyalty to my actual actual parent. And it wasn't like I didn't go. like them. It was that, hey, you're not my parent. You've got your own mm -hmm. children. Let them send you a card. And I think it goes back to what you said earlier, Ron, that as a step smart stepdad, I need to keep in pace with each child, and I can't min minimize that there was a loss in their life. Can you speak to this topic of mm -hmm. loyalty? Because I think yeah. loyalty <laughs> is not that I sent you a Father's Day or card. Loyalty is that is different. And so if a stepfather's expecting certain outward, tangible signs of loyalty, he may be sadly disappointed. Yeah. Loyalty really speaks to, you know, the people that we're deeply committed to, where we put our allegiances and um, how we, you know, appropriate our energy in towards a relationship. And in terms of parents and children, you know, we all have one dad and one mom in life. Now we can have many other significant uh, caregivers, adult, you know, some of us had coaches when we were growing up in high school that stepped in and place in our life and really trained and taught us. And we admire those people and they have a whole, they hold a special place in our heart, but that doesn't make them my dad. Like that is just something that is deep. It is DNA deep, God given DNA deep. This is my child, my parent, end of story. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. this, this is why, by the way, children who have a biological dad who is irresponsible, addicted, you know, doesn't show up, inconsistent, unreliable, all the all the uns, right? And yet they still desperately want dad to show up on their birthday. Like, it's my dad. It, it, so loyalty also has tied with it identity when we're talking about parents and oh. children. So think about this for a minute. Like, if I shift my loyalty to away from a biological dad to a stepdad, for example, I'm kind of saying I'm changing my last name. Like it's almost that significant. Um, and so, but I, but again, there's gotta be a really big reason for a kid to want to do that. It, it does happen. It does happen. And again, it doesn't have to come down to a competition. And that's my point. You know, you quoted earlier something we said in the very beginning of the book, when children who are, who find themselves uh, with their biological parents uh, separated for whatever reason. When kids in that situation have a strong relationship with their biological dad and with their stepdad, they fare far better in life than children who feel like they got to choose. It doesn't yeah. have to be a choice. 
everybody just has their place. And when a stepdad acknowledges and knows his place and fills that role, it's a tremendous blessing to the child. Well, you said something in your book that I thought is worth mentioning here when we talk about loyalty, because what should a smart stepdad expect? And you wrote this, and I thought this was freeing for a man to Mm -hmm. hear. So if you're listening and you're a stepdad, I think this is going to help you. You can expect exclusive loyalty from your wife. That is part (laughs) of the marital covenant. But you should not expect exclusive loyalty from your stepchildren. Yeah, if kids were forced to choose, it would be easy. They would choose their dad, even if yeah. he's unreliable and undependable. They they just will. Um, I think all of us know that deep in our heart and soul. If you just ask yourself, look in the mirror, go, yeah, I think that's the way it would go for me. This is not a cut on the stepdad. It's just to say, don't make this a competition for that child. You'll lose. <laughs> It's better that you know your place and work within that. Then you can win. That's really good, man. Well, you know, I think what we're doing here today is we're trying to give these guys tools that they can function in this realm of smart and not stupid stepdad. (laughs) You know, you, you wrote on page 71 of your book, you said, the point is simple. Do your best to treat your children and your stepchildren fairly. And then you talk about getting practical and becoming a smart stepdad involves teamwork, having an ambassador attitude, and then having a set of tools in your parenting toolbox. What are, what are your top three tools that a smart stepdad should have in his parenting toolbox? Yeah, let me just say, this is a good parenting tip for anybody listening, bio parent, step parent, whatever the case may be catch them doing something right. By the way, in this book, uh, I put a whole chapter on good parenting, uh, just because sometimes stepdads just need a model, something to think about in terms of how they go about this. This is a great strategy for stepdads in particular who are still early in the crockpot, still trying to grow a relationship with these children. But it's also a long-term, one of the best uh, discipling tools we can use in parenting. Catch your child doing something right. We all know how to catch them doing something wrong. We're all good at that. We're all attuned to misbehavior. This means I have to be attuned to right behavior, uh, to good behavior, to proper behavior. This is more than just kind of reinforcing, you know, something good. This is you noticing and commenting, backing it up, celebrating that with the child. It's a feel good moment. And it tells the child clearly the kind of thing you want to see more of. So it's as simple as, wow, dude, hold on, time out. You just had your brother's toy and he just came up and kicked you in the leg and you did not knock him over the head. Thank you very much for not, uh, you know, you know, evil for evil with your younger brother. Now, listen to that. There's about six other ways that could go. Yeah, that could. Why did you take the kids? Why did you? And you could find the negative fast. But if you can find the positive and compliment it, that warms their heart to you just a little bit. And it teaches them the kind of behavior you want to see more of. But the kicker to all this this little strategy, Jim, is that we have to start noticing the good behavior. We have to change what we're paying attention to. And uh, it's just one tool, but it can make a difference. Okay, so another 
tool that I like to coach dads towards is talk less, act more. I definitely outlined this one in the book as well. Talk less yes. and act more. I, I think all of us as parents have this belief that if we talk, we, that we can talk our children into good behavior. We can talk them not only into good behavior, but we can talk them into the right attitude that will lead to good behavior. So if I just lecture long enough, <laughs> well enough, if I just make that point really, really great, then they're going to walk away and go, all right, I'm in. I'm going to do exactly what you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It's really, um, it really shoots ourselves in the foot. I think yeah. we ought to teach. We do need to talk with kids. And from time to time, we need to say, all right, now here's what's behind us asking you to do such and such. But once you've done that, it's time to stop talking and start doing something. Talk less and act more. So it's as simple as, uh, you know, a child at the dinner table who, who, who won't abide by the little conversational rules that you have in your home. They keep interrupting people and you've already reminded them, right? They know the rule. This is not about knowledge at this point. So don't just give them another lecture. Just quietly stand up, walk over, pick up their plate, say, follow me, go into the kitchen, put the plate in the trash. The food's gone. You're done. Go to your room. We're going to finish dinner. Like just stop looking for them to finally get it right. Do something that communicates. We have an expectation. You already know. You need to make a different choice next time. You don't have to berate them. You don't have to make them feel horrible about themselves. And by the way, as a stepdad, that's even more important. But you want to talk about Ephesians 6, don't exasperate your children, fathers. Stepfathers can exasperate really fast because yeah. this child doesn't really know your heart. They're not exactly sure where, how much to trust you and what you're about. Um, so just being strong and decisive is a much better strategy. Um, third tip. Last one I'll give. And I mean, there's a lot of different directions we could go, but I, I just think that we as men and stepdads can do this on day one. When you apologize for you, when you recognize uh, and confess that that's the word for it, but when you just say, you know what? I blew it. I am so sorry. I need to backtrack on that. I spoke too harshly to your mother and you heard it. I'm sorry. And I'm apologizing to her. And I just want you to know that I know that that wasn't right. I'm working on that. Yeah, it, we are leading in those moments. And as a stepdad, again, for a child, an ingredient who's looking at you like, okay, how much do I want to trust you? How much, how much do I believe you really have me in mind when you, when you're acting in, in, on behalf of me? Like you're proving that you are trustworthy in those moments. And it's not just a strategy, it's the right thing to do, but it yeah. does have a significant impact on your ability to, to lead a child. Yeah, you talk about leading a child, <clears throat> specific, we're talking about stepchildren here. How does a stepdad find the balance? This, I mean, this would almost be a tool as well, uh, with showing affection to his children versus his stepchildren. You said... Um, you, you know, speaking specifically of the stepdaughter, I think they have a different type of affection needed than a stepson. You said, mm -hmm. if you deny her healthy affirmation, and if you would withdraw so far that your affections and positive encouragement can't be reached, 
you know, you would do damage there. But if you over, if you're overly affectionate, you do damage there. And you tell men to seek a balance uh, in their posture. What what is what is this? What what kind of balance should a guy go for in affection with his stepchildren versus his biological children? Yeah, just for the sake of the the listener or viewer, let me just put that in the context. We're that's a whole chapter talking about the yeah. awkwardness of hugging your stepdaughter and just some of those pieces um, that I think some men really wrestle with. In fact, I know stepdads wrestle with that, and mm-hmm. it's rarely talked about in you know research or secular secular uh, resources and things. So I felt like we needed to spend a whole chapter on it. Uh, finding the balance. I'm a firm believer in co-creating um, a way of doing relationships that works for both people. If if you have a 16-year-old stepdaughter and you're kind of new in her world and in her life, and you're just not sure what's the comfortable way to express or show affection, ask her. Now, I know that sounds a little weird, but believe it or not, she's kind of wondering the same thing. And if you approach it in an adult manner, like, hey, I really want to respect you in all ways and all things. And I don't ever want you to feel uncomfortable in our relationship. Can we just figure out how we're going to do this? What what would feel comfortable to you? I'd love to give you a big old hug when we say goodnight, but you know what? If that doesn't work for you, it's okay with me. Tell me what is comfortable. And you co-create how we're going to do things. In other circles, if we're dating, talking about dating relationships right now, we would call this DTR, define the relationship. Well, you DTR in all sorts of relationships. Go ahead and do that. And then you're not guessing. Like if you're, it's up to you to figure out what's her comfort level. You'll probably never get it right. Let hers have a say. That shows her some respect. You decide together. And that's how you proceed from today. And then a few days or months and a couple of years from now, that might change. But that's okay. At least you know how to proceed today. Yeah, that's really important because your stepchildren can perceive that you do not like them yes. based on your level of affection. And right. it can be a knuckle knuckle punch, it could be an elbow pound, it could yes. be a high five, it could be any, it could be a side hug. It's determining again, you going back to your earlier pod, uh question, determining the pace of that yeah. child. And so yeah. hey, hey Ron, Jim, we're yeah, go for it. Just a quick little uh, add-on here. We're having this conversation in the middle of a pandemic, and I just yes. want to point out everybody in the world right now is having DTR conversations. They're co-creating realities as we begin to engage again in life, and we call this, what does six feet away mean to you, <laughs> right? Yeah. You, you go to church, and you're trying to figure out. Like, my wife and I met a couple last night for dinner, and I got out of the car, and I said, are we hugging? And they said, no, we're not hugging. We're a little concerned. I'm like, that's cool. Can we elbow? We had a 30-second DTR conversation to figure out comfort zones and how that makes sense to you and what you, how do you want to handle this? It's the same principle, but apply it into your blended family relationships. Yeah, that's really powerful. I appreciate that. You know, we're running short on time here, and I have neglected one aspect of being a smart stepdad, and I wanted to save it to the end. Ah. And here it is. It's the power of a healthy marriage. <laughs> Can yes. you speak to So on page 207 of your book, you said one mark of a healthy relationship is the ability to overcome marital lethargy, lethargy by energizing mm. the relationship with focused amounts of time. And you yes. go on to explain how important that, you know, let's not forget about how important the marriage is. 
Can you elaborate? It's critical, in particular for a stepdad, because in the beginning, all your power comes from your wife. When I say power, I mean your authority, your leadership, your influence. She gives you credibility with her children. By the way, that's why this book has two chapters for the mom to read, to know what she can do and what she should not do in order to help her husband be successful. It really is it working on that partnership element there. So the book is for both, primarily for stepdads, but it's also for the, for the mom. Um, without her support in the beginning, without her looking at her kids and going, look, when I'm not here, he's in charge. Without that sort of thing, you're kind of just flying on, on your own. And you really, when you have her in your corner, so to speak, uh, then things go so much better. And that really comes down to the marriage. And so investing in that relationship, being strong in that relationship, talking, problem solving, working with her uh, is not just about marriage. It is also about your place in the family as a unit. Yeah, that is so powerful. Ron, man, it's been, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. You bring such great insight and expertise this area that I know is affecting one third of our people. And that's so important. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you. How can people get a hold of you and follow you and what you're doing? Well, let me tell them, but let me ask a question to our listener just for a second for you to reflect on what influence do you think Joseph had on Jesus life? Hmm. You want to call him an adoptive dad or a foster dad or a stepdad? Jesus wasn't his child. There's two stories in the Bible we have about Joseph. When he finds out Mary's pregnant, it's not my kid, I'm out. And the second story is when Jesus is 12 and gets lost and they can't find him. And Jesus says, yeah, I was at my dad's house. Um, tongue in cheek, a little bit there. But yeah. you get the point. Joseph knew who he was not and yet he chose love he chose to raise jesus his livelihood jesus livelihood for 30 years before he starts his ministry he's based you know it's based think about that influence it's intangible it's amazing we don't know much about joseph he's a hero in my book we'll find out more one day i think on the other side family life blended familylife.com slash blended that's how people can get to um, the main ministry that I run. My personal webpage is smartstepfamilies.com, smartstepfamilies.com. And that links them to everything I'm involved with from online virtual classes to live events, to podcasts, to resources. Uh, they can find it all there. Well, and Ron, when you were speaking, uh, something popped up in my brain. So there's actually a third part of Joseph's story and the third part is Jesus took his career, his profession. Uh, so there was something about Joseph's influence that deeply impacted Jesus. And for 30 years of his life, he followed his his uh, stepdad and, and took on the same career. He was known as the carpenter's son. And so yeah. um, that's very, very powerful stuff. I think there's hope for these guys. Man, be that smart stepdad. You don't want to be that other guy. <laughs> you right. don't want to be that other guy. So, guys, <laughs> let's get our boots on the ground. How do we... Take what we've learned from Ron today and, Im and impact our stepchildren. How do we apply it to our lives? So here's what I want you to do. Here's your boots on the ground action item. It's a win-win right here, guys. You're going to go on a date night with your wife. You're going to take her on a date. But on this date, you are going to ask her a very specific question. And that question is, how am I doing with each of our 
my stepchildren. You're going to evaluate your relationship with each stepchild and let her help you to determine the growth areas that you have so you can become a smart stepdad and the best version of the man that God has called you to be. So, guys, thanks for listening to this episode. And, Dale, why don't you drive us home, brother? Yeah, guys, we want you to head on over to midinthearena.org and get your free book. Also, we'd love to hear from you guys out there. If you've been impacted by the podcast or materials of Men in the Arena, we'd love for you to shoot us an email over at midinthearena.org. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a smart stepdad. Men in the Arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.